show. The no make it show. Yeah, uh huh. We clash momentarily for class solidarity. Cash circulating, give the masses back its currency. Greed from elites, oligarchs stay fed. Deep state, faith fed. Everybody break bread. Racism, homophobia, sexism, religion in this melted pot. We live in time to build a new system. Unionize labor rights. Highlight the issue. Talking heads left is best. The saga continues. Continues. The no Mickey show. Hello and welcome to the Nomi Key Show. I am Nomi Key Const. Accountability. Huh. That is the word we need to keep repeating along with the name of George Floyd. Yesterday's guilty verdict, three, three counts guilty, was an important step down the path of accountability. A police officer convicted of murdering a black man. This should not be the rarity, but it is. As dramatic and welcome as this verdict is, it is is only the first part of the accountability in the case of George Floyd. And ultimately, also just the beginning of our larger movement to end the racist violence by police that has infected our country for generations. Many stars aligned to produce the conviction of Derek Chauvin. And it is important to keep this clear as we press to make this the norm in holding police to account and not the exception that lets everyone else get off the hook. Most cases are way harder than this one. Most police get let off. Most don't even get convicted. Most keep their jobs. Most keep their severance. Many cases of police violence involve split-second decisions in which the officers claim, per recommendation, that they felt threatened. But here George Floyd was subdued and then for nine agonizing minutes, Derek Chauvin crushed his knees into Floyd's neck. In so many cases, it is the word of the police officers against the word of some witnesses, usually black or brown, but not in this case. In this case, a brave teenager recorded the entire horrifying event on her phone. And in many cases, the prosecutors would rather the case go away, but here, Here in Minnesota, the attorney general, the state's first attorney general of color, sparred no effort or expense to mount an effective prosecution. We know who his name is. It is Keith Ellison. In many cases, cops stand together behind their thin blue line. But here, even law enforcement witnesses, including the police chief, testified for the prosecution. In other words, there is still a real danger that this case will become an exception. While in most cases, police continue to escape accountability for excessive force, reckless use of their weapons, and inhumane treatment of human beings in their custody. So there is much more to do. And one place, one piece of what needs to be done, and this is very, 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 very important, is about the case of George Floyd. This case is not over. Let me repeat that. This case is not over. There were three other Minneapolis officers on the scene that horrible day. They watched Derek Chauvin murder George Floyd. They failed to intervene during the nine minutes as people were calling and screaming from the streets, as he was screaming that he could not breathe, that he wanted his mother. If we are going to change policing in America, we must hold these three officers to account every bit as much as we are holding Derek Chauvin to account. This is the core challenge to change police culture. Derek Chauvin was not 
not a rogue officer. He was a senior officer, a training officer. He murdered George Floyd because his colleagues and the culture of policing let him. They are responsible too, and they must be held responsible. If prosecutors fail to do that, then this case really will be the exception and actually strengthens the rule of racist police culture. But the prosecutors now make clear this was not a case of one bad cop, but a case of racist police culture. The blinders have been taken off for a good chunk of America. If we are debating the messaging of defund the police, then that is a sign that we are shifting, but we cannot let up. As Ben Dixon said on our show yesterday, quote, it takes so much to get so little in this country. So to every person of color who has been murdered, beaten, harassed, all by law enforcement, and to every family member affected by our racist policing, we cannot let up. There needs to be more. Allies need to st stick to it. Support and the pressure cannot be let up. All right, we have a wonderful show today. Uh, we, it's, we're going to change it up a little bit. Uh, our panel later today is with Jordan Zacharin and, of course, our own Simon Rode. And then we're going to have our good friend Suraj Hashmi on in about a couple of minutes to talk about these cases and some of the other stories of the day. He's got a new show out. You definitely want to check it out. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. I am so excited. First time on, I've been on your show, your previous show, uh, but I'm excited to be part. Do you have, is that swag? You already have swag for your show? Who are you, Siraj? Siraj Hashmi is the host of, I love this, the Habibi Bros podcast, and he is the creator of, <laughs> I can't even say this out loud, the list of people who need their phones taken. Who is on that list, Siraj? You're on mute, by the way. Siraj, you're on mute. Siraj, you're on mute. Clearly, you're not a professional yet. You got the swag, but you don't know how to mute. There we go. I'm there we it go. happens like every Sorry, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't actually know that my Zoom was on mute. I just it's, automatically assumed. Literally, I feel like they just mess with me sometimes. Like, just when you figure it out, they're like, just kidding. Now we're going to yeah. mute you. <laughs> uh, like a person behind the screen at Zoom is like, how can I make Nomi's life miserable every day? That's how <laughs> Uh, you know, I've actually had to, we've we started the store late last year because the Habibi Rose podcast has been around since the beginning of COVID. Basically, Jay and I was my co-host. We basically just started doing a live streams on Wednesday night, and then it just started gathering a cult following. Uh -huh. and, uh, and yeah, we started creating merch and everything like that. Obviously, the star of the show is my uh, my uh, thick Chihuahua Ernie. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I don't see Ernie in the picture there though. Er Ernie, Ernie's not here. He, he's, Ernie, where are you? He, he should be coming down, but this is, this is, of oh course. Oh my God, that's insane. a great, I, he looks like, he's, he looks like every other chihuahua I've ever yeah, seen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do we know that was actually him and not uh, someone? <laughs> um, I, I would bring him on the show, but honestly, we'd only talk about him for 20 minutes and not, <laughs> not know, the news I, of the day. I'm thinking about doing a podcast just on dogs because I, first off, I have a poodle and mm -hmm. anytime we do an ad for our CBD product, I talk about my poodle 
probably way longer than the ad length should be. And it, I mean, I could literally just sit there. Does I, your I, dog take CBD? Uh, I forced him to because, wow, <laughs> wow we're going down this path. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> poodle talk now. Um, <sighs> he is a 13-year-old Bichon Poodle who acts like he's five. And, but he also, because of COVID, so full circle here, you know, the beginning of the lockdown, it was like, all people all the time, biggest dream for a dog, like never having to be alone. And then suddenly we, he had to be alone again and he started biting his tail because oh, no. he's nervous. And so it got really raw and he had a he had a cone around his neck for the last four, oh since December, God. since December. And they took it off like last week. So that's why we gave him the CBD because we were like, oh, let's test this out. Let's see if he can, nope, he cannot be let alone. Nope, there he goes. He's eating his tail again. <laughs> Man, uh, yeah, it's kind of wild. The, so like, yeah, I had you on in the very beginning of COVID on hashing you that when I was over at the examiner. And then like, I just started taking on more and more projects because there was just so much time on my hands that I, I, I literally needed to create more work for myself because uh, the, there was just too much, there was too much time to fill the void and you obviously couldn't see anyone. So Smash, why weren't you cooking like everybody else? Uh, <laughs> because there was nothing at the store for me to buy. It was already right. taken. <laughs> <laughs> so you were starving underneath your desk coming up with podcasts. Yeah, All right. So what exactly. is your podcast? What's what's the theme of the podcast? And we'll get to so the theme of the podcast. Uh, so we do it every Wednesday night. It's a power hour. So every time Jay says 100 percent and I say, essentially, you got to drink um, because we say it that much. But basically, we uh, we started off by just literally getting angry and waging what we call jihad on the news and the stories that make us angry. Of course, we'd have to tamper down that language because jihad is obviously a very charged term. So guessing we just... you're doing great on YouTube. <laughs> you know, until when when we got monetized, I had to basically tamp down all that language because. Yes. And then we started a <laughs> we started a Patreon in February because uh, then we could just be more of ourselves. So it's been it's been a fun time, and and when we get a chance to just talk about the news and and bring a little lighthearted nature to it, it tends to uh, engage and and build a little bit more traction. Um. I hear you. So now with this show, just so you know, we've lost our monetization. Thank you very much for dropping that word. <laughs> Normally what we do for- Are for, you serious? No, that no, actually, okay. I don't know. Maybe it does. I don't know. What do I know? We'll, we'll, we'll argue with them. And by the time we win the, okay, Dorsey says no. Ha ha ha. Oh, thank God. We had a thing like, especially the beginning, we couldn't, at the beginning of COVID, people don't know this. We couldn't even say the words COVID. People are getting de right. demonetized because they thought there was so much misinformation. It was crazy. It's like, how could you go on a show and not talk, you'd have to speak in code. You're like, yeah. that thing that's happening right now where Coco. everybody's locked away. <laughs> you know, you know how they, you know how they, they got, you know, every single word to, as a euphemism for drugs. Like that's how they started doing it for, for COVID. Like it's, yeah. you know, I'm, I, that song, I'm in love with the Coco is basically all, I'm in love with cocaine. And all of a sudden, like all, you right. got all the kids in school singing it. They have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right so let's talk a little bit about uh the news of the day we we opened up talking about the the trial of derek chauvin who was uh convicted on three counts and his face just doesn't understand how that is happening given the white bubble that he's been living in of protected racist police um i mean it's just like I know this has been reinforced over and over again, but let's just take this in for a second. A guy who was a training a senior officer training other officers who thought 
for nine minutes that it was perfectly okay to put his knee on a man as he was literally dying and saying he was dying. This is a guy, imagine his mind. I mean, this is how deep in he is, how programmed he is into being an extreme racist and who knows what else he's done in the past. That, like, I think that photo of him being convicted and like all of the memes going around, I mean, can you imagine that what's going, and, and what that represents to other officers who might be in the same situation right now? I mean, right. what's your take on on just like bursting the bubble of, of the, the, you know, police, uh, basically having to admit that they have racism in their departments. Right. So the Derek Chauvin instance, and this is this is an interesting one because I've seen some people on the fringe right try to say, obviously, that Derek Chauvin did nothing wrong. Kneeling on someone's neck, and it doesn't matter who you are, for eight minutes and 42 seconds is an insanely long time. I don't know at what point you start to think, hey, maybe I have the situation under control. I don't need to be kneeling on this guy's neck. I mean, what was, where was the resistance in terms of actually making an arrest here? I mean, if they were actually detaining the, uh, George Floyd and they had him in handcuffs, a knee on his neck is not going to, like, change the situation. At that point, you're literally killing the guy. And, and, the, and the examiner report, uh, the medical examiner, even if, even if George Floyd had drugs in the system, which it was fentanyl, that's not what killed him. What killed him was the knee on his neck. That was the catalyst that led from life to death. So it's, it's, I, I agree with the verdict. I think uh, I am worried about the appeal though, because the judge who uh, was m mentioning uh, representative Maxine Waters comments about getting more confrontational said that could be used uh, in appeal. And that would be enough to overturn. I'm, I'm, I'm all of a sudden getting concerned here that like, for one, she, I mean, she is being asked these questions and people are going to you know, even have President Biden saying he prays for the right verdict. He didn't say exactly what that verdict was, um, but it's almost impossible to escape this eco chamber of news and information that it's a juror is going to hear this information and start thinking that that's going to be, uh, you know, in, impact their thinking on how they're going to rule in a case. I mean, but this is, I'm, I'm so not in the camp of thinking and that Maxine Waters, and I'm, you know, I have criticisms of Maxine Waters. I've, I've debated her before and the platform committee meetings. Um, I just think that this is ridiculous. Like this is the, can you imagine that happening during the OJ Simpson trial? The entire country was consumed by it. And mm -hmm. of course the jurors were sequestered and this is before social media. And of course lawmakers in different cities were commenting on it. And, and, and Maxine Waters I'm sure was doing it at the time because it was shutting down her entire you know district. I mean, cities across America, I was talking to my mom yesterday who was in Los Angeles. She's like, everything is boarded up. You can't escape that. Right. And I mean, that's the job of having a sequestered juror. It's not the duty of the world to operate. And I think mm -hmm. if I were the lawyer, I would be arguing this. It's not the duty of the world and, and lawmakers who are not part of this case to operate as if, you know, in fear. Like yeah. the world has to go on. Yeah. Things happen. I mean, if, if the jury was truly sequestered and they had no access to any of the information, it's really the judge who poisoned them by mentioning Waller's right. comments. That's so that's that's one thing you got to pay attention to there, because, you know, actually, uh, there is um, I don't know if I, I know that uh, I've been reading a, a book over the last week. Uh, he's actually going to be on our show. He's probably not a huge uh, 
uh, I'm sure there are not many people who are fans of his, but he is an interesting figure, and that's Glenn Greenwald, and his reporting specifically <laughs> on uh, his, his 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 reporting on Operation Car Wash. So we're going to have him on the show this week to talk about it, and that's the first time I'm teasing that. But I was reading his book, and interestingly enough, the judge that they were investing that they were doing the reporting on, Sergio Moro. Uh, he was the one person who had, who was basically the, the judge and jury. Like they don't rule in criminal cases there by a jury of their peers. Mm. They do it purely by the judge. So I'm starting to get flashbacks to just thinking about Sergio Moro and then this judge in Minnesota basically poisoning the well here and trying to make, you know, kind of pave a path for appeal. And that concerns me because, you know, while Derek Chauvin is guilty on three counts of homicide and murder and, and manslaughter today, down the road, that could be overturned and it could be even worse. Well, I mean, it's not like the jury. I mean, here's the other side of it. It's it's. It, it's not like whatever Maxine Waters saying, like there might be, it, that's not rocket science. Like mm -hmm. the mass, it, it's not like the jury didn't know that the, the largest uprising in history occurred before the trial. And they're, I mean, if they, obviously they do the best job they can to select jurors and make sure that they're not completely involved, but it's, it's impossible. Like, right. come on. I mean, so, so, so I don't even know if that would have actually influenced them because they lived through the last year and saw right. the streets and knew what the effect of this trial would be. Furthermore, I mean, what's really strange about this is that this, this judge in particular has a very good reputation for being fair and very reasonable. And so I just, I've, you know, I, I've been reading some of the, the legal response and I think they've been baffled too, that it was completely out of his, um, it was out of his character to do something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's, it's it's interesting, and then you have the other officers who are who are now going to have to be go through trials as well. And will that be framed by by this ruling? And I, it, we're human. At the end of the day, our justice system is clearly imperfect in so right. many different ways. <laughs> it's certainly better than most countries, that's for sure. Fair but enough. It's Fair enough. yeah, it's not perfect. You're right. There are many there are many reforms that the our justice system needs, and it, even on paper, even theoretically, if our justice system was uh, was the best in the world, man is corruptible. And, you know, how many times have people been, uh, even within our justice system, been prosecuted for corruption? I mean, it's happened time and time again. I mean, we obviously look at police officers, just like Derek Chauvin, misusing and abusing uh, their uh, authority and harming people who should should not be harmed. I mean, like, I get angry when I see people like Nancy Pelosi say, thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life. Like, he did not, he was murdered. He was not, he didn't sacrifice his life. Like, he should still be alive today. That was literally like peak Nancy Pelosi in a Kenta cloth saying, <laughs> what on earth? We, I mean, but just, there's so many moments over the last year in response to this where you, you politicians, people, I mean, social media has done this, the public, they reveal themselves with these statements in ways you're like, where are, how can you be this genius political, like, like King queen maker, right? right? Somebody who's controlling Congress knows how the levers of, of power work. And then you get in front of a camera and you think that that is something that should come out of you that literally is processed in your brain. Like, and you say that, like it, it, how disconnected from humans are you? Uh, ice I cream mean, lady. 
It's it's just it's it's amazing to me. We are ruled by octo and septuagenarians, and they say that the children are the future, and they don't want to relinquish the levers of power to anyone. Uh, and 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 anyone they they do relinquish power to, they neuter them completely, like AOC or Bernie Sanders, yeah. um, or I mean, people on the left and right could probably relate to that. That. You know, the establishment in the swamp, it eventually comes for them. And in one way or another, uh, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And eventually one of these, uh, you know, stalwart or firebrand politicians that gives hope to so many people eventually succumbs to, you know, the corruption and, and the swamp. But they, get, they succumb to the, 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 the power dynamics, and that's why right. it's important to have more elected. I mean, look at Keith Ellison. I... I I don't, um, I've met with Keith Ellison before many times. I've interviewed him and, and, I, um, and I know him and I think he's an extremely admirable person. When I was under fire personally, uh, he gave me really extraordinary advice and I just find him as one of the, the standout politicians. And, and I, think, I think there, it would be fair to say that um, being in Congress, especially in the minority, was not the most empowering place for him to uh, be who he was, right? Mm -hmm. uh, push his beliefs. I mean, he he was. They definitely um, they definitely punished him for speaking out on on some key issues. Uh, they meaning the Democratic establishment and and President Obama. Uh, and and I think you know this is just like the most beautiful form of justice. Is him? I remember when he said he was going to run for AG. He was like, "Is it a good idea?" And I said. I, I mean, I think it's amazing. And look at this. Look yeah. at the poetic justice of this circumstance. So every I mean, once in a while, something. Yeah, something. I, you know, when I when I saw that he was running for AG, then my first thought was like, oh, so he, you know, there's a good chance that he probably, if if Trump was reelected, he would be one of those people who would be filing lawsuits against the Trump administration. But now, obviously, you have Biden um in in office. I can't think of any other path for him except for running for governor for Minnesota at this point i mean path or not i think it's amazing that he's ag and tom Pry <laughs> sorry it's just like <laughs> remember that time uh tom perez became dnc chair <laughs> and then tried to troll uh attorney general now attorney general ellison and and tom perez was desperate to be ag of the u.s and look where he is now where is he is he still he's still dnc chair is he not no no no. he left he gave it to jamie harrison i say that because uh, that's what happened <laughs> like yeah. the election that occurred no it's it's amazing um so i do i do want to touch on uh the other i mean simultaneously as man as this is happening and i i want to say her name properly makia bryant is that right makia bryant makia bryant makia bryant um a teenage girl was murdered by police in columbus ohio so there are three murders a day, three, right? Three murders a day by police officers, over a thousand a year. And we are sitting here, you know, in the midst of these trials, watching more stories break out and, and people show up on the streets. I, I, I said in my opening that the blindfolds are off, the blindfolds are off for Americans. Like they're starting most Americans, most reasonable Americans, uh, who are not completely, you know, brainwashed by Q, are starting to see that our what so many people have seen for years, but it hasn't been covered in the press. Social social media has been a big part of this. The movement for Black Lives is a bit of a big part of 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 elevating these stories, and of course, just having camera phones, like folks being able to to witness it and and put it out there. Um, 
where do you think this, we go from here? I mean, I said in the opening that like, if we're having a conversation about defund the police, like the language of it, I actually think that's a good step. People are like, oh, wait, they get obsessed with the language. I'm like, we're having a conversation about defunding the police in which they're asking us to redefine it because they don't understand it. And now we are saying, okay, this is what it really means. Mm -hmm. And there are some cities who are, who are doing it or reallocating some monies. Um, not fast enough, definitely way too late, but it's actually penetrating people's brains in a way that it wasn't two or three years ago. Yeah, I mean, for me, I have a healthy distrust of the police and sort of law enforcement and government in general, just because obviously I grew up in the post 9-11 world and I'm Muslim and obviously the Patriot Act affected me and my family. My dad's been detained by, the, by DHS multiple times. Obviously he's a heart surgeon. So like, I mean, why would they detain him? Um, but, you know, I'm pretty sure that where we go from here is that when we talk about this whole idea of defunding the police, it's very important, obviously, that we don't talk. I think there are some uh, radicals on the fringes who are talking about defunding the police in a very uh, rudimentary way, in the sense that, like, you get rid of policing entirely. You can't do that. That's not, that's not realistic. That's not pragmatic. People, obviously, uh, you can't enforce the rule of law without a law enforcement officers to do it. Um, you know, in cases with like Kim Potter, who shot and killed Dante Wright, uh, she was a 26 year veteran calling for taser, pulls out her firearm instead and kills him. Like, how is that, how is that acceptable for a 26 year veteran to do having that much training? Obviously a lot of the focus should be on training, but of course, you know, there's, you're going to have situations like this, uh, happen, um, it sounds like it, it never, it's, it sounds like it's never going to stop. And that's the sad thing. So do I have the answers? Absolutely not. I wish I had the answers, but I, I, I think there needs, I, I do appreciate the conversation, the debate that's being had in terms of what to do about qualified immunity, uh, about police unions, because those are two areas that I think need to be addressed that at least if you talk about, you know, changing the restrictions or changing the, the, uh, allowance of police officers for qualified immunity, all of a sudden they don't feel like they can do their job with full impunity. They realize that their that their actions have legitimate consequences. And I think that's the first place to start. I mean, it's, it's, it's revealed in this Chauvin trial. I mean, that was when I was watching his, him process it or not process it. To me, it was like the bubble of qualified immunity has just been burst. And mm -hmm. now, potentially every officer in America realizes that they're not protected. Mm -hmm. And the union has just potential, I mean, they're gonna obviously rev up their as much as possible, but uh, the issue that they're facing, and, and it's really been the third rail of politics in most cities in America is democratic mayors do not want to touch police unions. And the tide is moving ever so slightly that now I think police unions, especially after this trial, are seeing that this is, this may not work anymore. Yeah, this and I also work. think I also think with Trump not being in office, uh, right. the the window is sort of open, or at least the Overton window in terms of trying to take that opportunity to go after the police unions and and basically show them that they they don't run the city anymore. Right. That might be, I think, a lot a huge factor in how this is all playing out. Well, in a, in a city like New York City, they literally a majority of police officers are coming in from outside of the city. So they literally are trying to run the city that they don't live in, number one. Mm. Um, but I mean, it's it's they're tremendously powerful. Uh, we saw yesterday in Florida that the the police chief, there was a police chief, I believe the police 
using the union as well. I don't want to mess that up, but I, I mean, he was, I think, in union leadership as well. Um, appear with, with DeSantis basically telling liberals to not register to vote in Florida because they didn't. <laughs> Because it's insane. It's just like they're so overtly political because they have this new bill that they're introducing uh, that creates if, if there's two people, you're a mob, three people, it's a riot. So what? I wonder what kind. Oh, yeah, this is a new bill. We'll cover it's 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 a way to, um, pro, you know, basically prosecute Dis and, and discourage arrest. riots and protests, certain types of rioters. I'm going to guess that they're not doing that on 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 uh, the Trump golf course when there's three <laughs> fat white dudes. Three's company. Just going to guess. Just going to guess. Um, but, you know, what, what you say in terms of there are some people who want to uh, eliminate the police, you know, they're I'm a big believer of go for it all and then end up in the middle. So more power to you folks. Are you, are you, you, you could call that the art of the deal, right? I mean, yes. <laughs> or union bargaining. <laughs> Go for it all. I mean, that's what the Republicans do. Uh, yeah. It. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is you, you, you find that, that middle ground somewhere and, and that's, that's kind of the rule in negotiating. It seems nowadays. Well, if the root of the police force was literally to protect property against slaves rising up, uh, I'm going to say maybe we need to reinvent what law and order means in America. Maybe it's, I mean, first, first off, there's a big question about how much of law, what law enforcement does is actually, you know, creating order and not creating more chaos and, 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 uh, disrupting communities. Um, because the stuff that they're patrolling for in communities of color, much of that happens in in whiter, wealthier communities as well, and it doesn't seem to disrupt whiter, wealthier, wealthier communities. So, you know, there's obviously a lot of other stuff here too. In terms yeah, of, I mean, um, just look at the opioid epidemic. Nobody started to care about it until perfect. white people started dying. Exactly, exactly. And they're not running around arresting white people for taking opioids, at least at that level. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, well. I guess, I mean, and and if you look at it uh, over the course of the last decade. The way we look at drug addiction has changed dramatically with the opioid epidemic. It's gone from something that should be criminalized to something that should be at least treated as, as something that's for, for that person's health, which I guess is progress. Obviously, you don't want to have it go down that route because obviously that kind of uh, th that's a reflection of kind of how we as a society uh, are kind of racist, but <laughs> oh, geez, I I, I, what a wake-up call, uh, America! But, uh, but at least, at least, <laughs> but at least there's at least there's progress on that end. Yeah, it just took some white people to 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 create. It just took John Boehner investing in a uh, in a weed company. Man, John Boehner, what a wild one! What a wild one, Siraj. Uh, where can we check out your show again? Let's let's. Uh, we're on YouTube, uh, Habibi Bros, or you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Habibi Bros. Wednesday you can find nights. Me Wednesday nights. We also do a show on the weekends that comes out on Saturdays. You could also just find me on Twitter at Siraj A Hashmi. You're very spicy on Twitter, very twitchy on Twitter. I'm sometimes I'm, I was like reading your Twitter. I was like, I don't even understand. It's like you and Hassan. I'm like, what language are you speaking? I've known Hassan for a long time. I'm like, when actually, did he change his language to can, Twitch? Can I tell you something? Literally last night when I was uh, replying to that Las Vegas Raiders tweet, you know, you saw that one that said, I can yeah. breathe for 2021. I did, uh, yeah, yeah. Someone responded to my tweet saying, aren't you that uh, that dude from TYT, that Turkish dude from TYT? So I guess Hassan and I are the same person now. <laughs> America, 
<laughs> Breaking news. Racism on the internet. Uh, Islamophobia off the charts right now. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. It's okay. At least they didn't compare me to a Turk because I'm Greek. Yeah, so that, that, would that would be really yeah, problematic. That would be treasonous right there. Treasonous. Yeah, very much so. Although I do love Turkey. I just wait, wait, wait for it. Give it five seconds. I'm going to get the Turkish trolls. Last Boom. time I did an Erdogan piece, I was swarmed with Turkish trolls. Like Erdogan trolls, I should say. It was insane. So... It was, it was it was all Hassan and his simps. No, no, it wasn't. He's on the opposite side. Opposite, he's on our side. Oh my god! I'm just kidding. I'll take his. I'll take his trolls. It's better than force the boat trolls. <laughs> all right, Siraj, go check out his show. Uh, you can check it out on Wednesday nights. What time on YouTube? 10 p.m. East. 10 p.m. Eastern. Good time. Good time. Um, and on Saturdays as well. And what's this list? And I, you never explained what that was. Oh, the list is the it's a list of people who need their phones taken away based on bad takes. So like Trump's been on it a lot. A lot of people in the establishment, you know, corporate yeah. media, uh, just like people that make you want, you know, like not just dunk on them, but literally take their phone to save them from themselves because their tweets are so bad. Like near It's a perfect yeah. example. Wait, wait, what is she doing? What's she doing? Where's she going? Tell you know, me, it's so near Tandon, I put her on the list and she called me an incel in response. And that label has stuck with me ever since. And That's and amazing. then and then and then all of my fans think I'm gay too. I'm not. I'm married to a woman. Uh, it doesn't matter. So that's very I, and, then, and then and then when I no, I mean like I don't no, not you. It. I mean your fans. That yeah, are, no, that's fine yeah. either. Either way. And then when Fox News outed me as a lib uh, for for doing the Vince Vaughn cancellation thing back yeah. in early 2020, I've been known as a gay incel lib for the last like year and a half. Take it. Yeah, Hashtag no, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I just, I just embrace it at this point. And the fact that it came from these three different forces is so representative of like how they all, yeah, yeah their New little Tannen, universes. Fox News and uh, just my sims. People, <laughs> people, <laughs> just in general. Awesome. All right. Where can we find that list? And I want to see who else is on uh, it. It's on Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Suraj Hashmi, but you can also just follow me on Twitter because I post it there publicly You make as well. money off of just creating a list of people mm -hmm. yeah. who can. Yeah. And we, and every Monday night on Twitch, I actually compile the list and I actually invite my audience to vote on one of the worst takes. So this is so amazing. Yeah. So, and that's uh, twitch.tv forward slash Suraj Hashmi if you want to find me on there. But that, it's all on my Twitter. You can check it out. Love it. Now I need to do something like that. Wait, you can literally make money off of creating a list. This is mm -hmm. the easiest cash flow ever. Yeah. You're such a, uh, what do they call everybody who's just like grifter. constantly trying to, grifter, that's the word that everybody <laughs> uses. Yeah. You're such a grifter. No, grifters are people who are attaching themselves to like Hillary Clinton and like yeah, reading no, podcasts no. off of her. Entrepreneur. Is... We could go with entrepreneur, but I'll just embrace every bad it's label we can get. You should, we should do a show called Grifters. Yeah. Love the it. Grifters. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. We'll, we'll pitch it to Netflix. And 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 you have to pay uh, $69,000 to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> An episode. Per episode, exactly. <laughs> you hear that, Netflix? That's what it's going to cost. Boom. All right, Siraj Hashmi, always a pleasure to see you. Thank you, Nomiki. Talk soon. Can Take I, care. Uh, wait, do you have people that are not bros on your show? What do you mean? Like, do you have guests that are women? Absolutely, Nomiki. Would love to have Beautiful. you Beautiful. See, I just pitched myself. $69,000. Let's That's go. Cost. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care. You too, take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>
We will be right back with our fabulous panel, Simon Road and Jordan Zachron, to talk about today's news. More of today's news. There's a lot. There's so much news. I, I just kept. So we're going to try to get as much in. All right. Be right back. Don't make it show. The no Mickey Show. The No Mickey Show. Simon Road is a producer here at TNS. He was a part of Bernie. 2020, uh, one of the former organizers of Bernie 2020's campaign, and he's a socialist writer. And then Jordan Zachron is the founder of Progressives Everywhere newsletter. But is it official? Can, can we say what your new title is? Is this a new thing that we can say out loud, Jordan? Uh, sure, I think. Uh, hopefully, I, it's okay. Press release. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> breaking news. If I had a thing, I would play some music and go, breaking news. Jordan Zachron is now... Oh, I'm, I'm excited to be working with More Perfect Union, the organization run um, in part by the people who ran Bernie's campaign in 2020. Beautiful. Yeah. Love it. Exciting. Keep it in the family. Very All right. Cool. Major, major, major news day. Um, we've covered quite a bit about uh, the Chauvin trial, but I, I would be a bad host if I did not uh, bring up Nancy Pelosi's response. Can we play that clip? <laughs> Everyone for sacrificing your life for justice, for being there to call out to your mom. How, how heartbreaking was that? Oh my God. Call out for your mom. I can't breathe, but because of you and because of thousands, millions of people around the world who came out for justice, your name will always be synonymous. All right. I mean, all of our reactions, I think, pretty much said it. How many takes does it take for Nancy Pelosi to realize that she's completely out of touch with reality and hmm. humanity? Like, how many moments does she have to be called out in front of ice, you know, in, in the middle of a pandemic as people are, are literally dying, hooked up to, to, to oxygen machines, as bodies are piling up uh, across New York City and other cities across America, as people are drowning um, in debt, trying to figure out how they're going to survive. How many, and, and, and of course, the entire country rises up on the left and the right, uh, in response to the murder of George Floyd. At what point could it be more obvious for Nancy Pelosi to recognize humanity and she still effing doesn't get it? I, I want to say just, uh, first of all, just her saying all those things to an Argyle mask, really, I think, says it all. Uh, <laughs> just looking at her mask, even as she said that stuff. Um, you know, I remember when this happened a year ago, when she was taking the knee. Uh, right, a lot of uh, a lot of members of Congress. The yeah, and the Kentucloth yeah. that was um, take two did not work out all that well either. I don't think this was a George Floyd's choice to to die, and I don't think he was there to call out for his mother. Um, it more than anything else, it was just so patronizing and disconnected. You know, more it's just this idea that uh, someone would give their life for this, and like she that he was like asking for death, and. Um, Knowing that nothing's really going to pass or happen anyways in this divided Congress, you know, the, the fact that she said he gave his life for this and nothing's going to end up happening is even, I think, even more insulting. Like for what? For Keith Ellison to have some courage? And I mean, I, I, that's the only lawmaker I see right now who's showing any courage. Um, Simon, I mean, Jordan brings up a great point. She didn't even mention the police and, and, and they murdered him. It wasn't, he right. chose, to, what, what the, what the, 
She's not, she's not going to get it. She's, she's, there's nothing that's like, if it hasn't happened yet, it's not going to happen for her. She's not, it's not going to click. Um, and yeah, she's got to go. She's just, she doesn't represent the country right now. She doesn't understand what's going on. George Floyd is obviously not a martyr. He's a victim, you know? He didn't put his life on the line to make some political statement right. or to create some kind of change. I mean, it's, it's a problematic idea in the first place that like a black person needs to die or sacrifice their life in order for black people to be treated, to be allowed to live. To be allowed to live, exactly. She doesn't get it. And, and what, what kills me, it, can we just put that clip back up on and, and mute it for a second? Because I was then, well, I've watched this so many times now. Watch how everybody reacts around her. Do you have that clip up, Dorsey, still? I think this is important. Okay, so Karen Bass there. Look at, look at them. Nodding, 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 nodding. Greg Meeks, I think, is behind there. Can one of them pull her aside? What would it take for one of her colleagues to pull her aside and say, Nancy, shut the F up. You don't know what you're talking about. Get a script. I hope that happened afterwards. I certainly hope that they said, hey, uh, you know, Ixnan the sacrifice thing. And uh, you know, it, it, the fact that she was talking and not Karen Bass or yeah. someone else from the Congressional Black Caucus who you know, was, were seen watching on the phone or just one laptop, you know, crowded together watching, you know, the fact that it's Nancy Pelosi doing the speaking, I don't know why she's there in the first place. Uh, I think that that is probably the root of the problem more than anything yeah. else. No matter what she says, right. she shouldn't be the one saying it. That's right. right. That's right. And, I mean, it's also what we see all the time is like people in Congress, not, you know, Democrats in Congress, not feeling like they can stand up to Nancy Pelosi. You know, she's got so much political power. People don't even want to like, I, I, I'm just speculating. Like, I can imagine, like, a lot of people would sort of bite their tongue anytime they were thinking of, you know, correcting Nancy Pelosi on, on something. Well, that's ultimately it. I mean, she's so sophisticated when it comes to understanding the levers of power and, and yielding power and wielding power, or whatever you want to say, um, in, in Congress. And yet, the most basic components of being a politician are completely, I mean, this is, she is the emblem of the establishment. I'm sorry, I know it's like we're at a loss of words, but it really was such a jaw-dropping moment. I think that, um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's such an indication of just how broken Washington is. Uh, but speaking of broken Washington, um, <laughs> someone who broke Washington more, uh, George W. Bush, remember this guy? Remember George W. Bush? He's just a, just a painter, guys. He's just a painter. Um, <laughs> but he does have some opinions about his party that he broke, don't forget. Well, it was already broken. Let's play it. Do you believe there are compassionate conservatives today? Absolutely, I'm one. And I think there are a lot. Uh, the problem is uh, w with an angry society, uh, it, it, it's hard to punch through with compassion. Mm -hmm. Is it an angry society or is it a certain leaders and people who've stoked that anger and fear? I think there's a, that's an interesting question. Uh, I'm a big leadership guy, and, and so therefore I, I think maybe, maybe the latter part of your question is true, that people stoke anger in order to advance their apolitical agenda. Uh, I do believe there is a more, uh, well, my dad spoke kinder and gentler, uh, and he truly believed it, and I believed in uh, unifier, not divider, and, and, and they, they just can't be empty slogans. You have to believe it in order to be credible. Uh, I think 
that yes, it's going to require leadership to help heal heal wounds. Yeah, he really brought America together. You got to say that if there's one thing to you can say about George W. Bush is that when he left office, America was feeling upbeat and uh, there wasn't much and and uh, anonymity. Uh, animosity amongst uh, everyone here. I think I, you know, when he left, I was just really missing the guy because I miss his leadership. Yeah, this is the guy who had the lowest approval rating of any president when he left office prior to right. Donald Trump. Literally, I mean, this is the guy who could not drive down any streets without having like hundreds of people protesting him as he left Washington. I mean, and the crazy thing to me, Simon, is. He's using the same lines that he was mocked throughout his presidency. Yeah. He's like, I'm like, what is this script? You're stupid. What? Like, exactly. he's like a programming, like a dummy. Like, when I'm not painting, I'm just using my old talking points. I was <laughs> Sorry, thinking the exact that. same thing. I was thinking that. And I'm so glad you brought up, like, how people hated him. <laughs> Everybody in America seems to have the shortest memory. But, like, don't you remember when he was, like, unique evil and the worst president we've ever had and we have to vote blue no matter who because like th this whole thing like he lied to the whole country and is responsible for so many deaths he's a war criminal and he's allowed to just be on tv now calling himself compassionate with no pushback is it, what <laughs> hello it, in a painter <laughs> I think it would be obama's uh you know, they were in a tough spot i think um you know not that i've like uh, have a million great things to say about his uh, President Obama's presidency, but you know the embrace of George W. Bush, I think, it absolved him in some ways of so many of the awful things that he did. And I think also just having worked in the news media long enough, there is, you know, there people in the media are kind of like part of the power structure. You need to be nice to people. You need to have access to people, and there is a normalcy and like people want to continue. There is this, this tradition where you embrace ex-presidents, it's apolitical, and that's, you know, that's how it works. And just because George W. Bush was elected and, you know, he left his, left the office because his two terms are up without, I guess, any sort of revolution, now we can say, well, George W. Bush was part of that process. He may not have been a great president, but, you know, we got to respect the office. We got to respect the person, which is insane. I mean, like Simon said, he's a war criminal. He was, you know, so many people got, went bankrupt under his, uh, you know, under his presidency. There's nothing good about the guy. I guess, like, maybe compared to Trump, he's not going to, like, I don't know, uh, yell at racial slurs, like, right in front of people. He'll just keep that behind the closed doors. Pretty but the tradition we have for these people is absurd. Exactly. But, yeah, Jordan, like, we need to stop comparing everyone to Trump. Like, right. Trump cannot be the bar that, that the bar is, should not ever be that low. You know? No, you're right. Yeah, I mean, you can't, and 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 this is like because when you create the narrative of Trump being the bar, it creates a space for these right wing apologists to come in uh, that are on the left saying, well, well, you know, but Trump was not that bad on foreign policy. I mean, when when we are using Trump as the metric, it's creating this new space. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many leftists or supposed leftists are saying, well, Trump isn't that bad. And it was actually Bush that was worse. And Trump, you know, Trump put our republic at risk. We were like literally 20,000, 30,000 votes away from another round of Trump, who's dismantling every single institution in our country and, and, and putting in folks that are going to be there for decades and, and, and enabling the gerrymandering and, I mean, uh, civil rights. There's so much that he did domestically that was dangerous. And because there's this like, well, but George W. Bush... Iraq war in Afghanistan, you know what I mean? Um, there, 
there's no, like, it's not a debate between the two of them. That's not where we should be holding our society. We should be talking about a more perfect society and what it means to have stronger institutions in this country that protect our republic and what it means to not be interventionists, not to be dependent on a, on a defense budget. I mean, those are the conversations we should be having, but you know, I'll get off my soapbox. Um, <laughs> guys. All right. One more thing. Uh, uh, let's, this one's uh, fun. Speaking of, of, uh, you know, just sort of how George Bush kind of rose up. We've got Fox News. Fox News, of course, was one of the most um, incredible apologists uh, for George Bush. Let's play that clip of Fox News uh, covering the Green New Deal being reintroduced. Well, they're calling it the Green New Deal for public housing. And today, two progressives are introducing the first of three bills aimed at retrofitting public housing with renewable energy. The proposal, seeking a bigger slice of President Biden's infrastructure bill, which is already full of new spending and higher taxes, something Republicans have strongly opposed. We've got Fox team coverage for you today. Congresswoman Nancy Mace will join us in moments with her thoughts on all of this. But we begin with Jackie Heinrich. She's live on Capitol Hill. Hi, Jackie. Hey, John. I asked Senator Ed Markey and Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez about the leverage progressives have to push the Biden administration for an even bigger infrastructure plan, given that the margins are so thin. Democrats could only stand to lose a handful of votes, and they said it's absolutely a push on President Biden and other Democrats to go bigger. This proposal would more than triple Biden's investment, retrofitting public housing with renewable energy in an effort to tackle both environmental justice and the climate crisis. AOC told me they're not reintroducing it now because Biden hasn't budged. In fact, she said this administration has shown a commendable adaptiveness, pointing to the Climate Unity Task Force Biden and progressives took up last year when Biden became the nominee. But they also said Republicans are far, far afield. This is less a message to the GOP than their Democratic colleagues. Okay, so. But if they don't. We can make it there. So, you know, it's interesting that they're talking about the dynamics and they're putting this 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 Green New Deal forward. Um, there is something that's important to note here. New York City, which is obviously the largest city in the country. Uh, I have to just give a shout out to Councilman um, Kostatsanidis, who for, I think, like eight years was beating the drum on retrofitting public housing and making them energy efficient. Because what people don't understand usually is that the number one uh, the, the, the number one cause of emissions in New York City is from housing, natural gas leaking out. And public housing in New York City um, is obviously a very, they're extraordinarily outdated and there's a federal aspect to this. So this is something that, you know, a very simple, well, not very simple, but it's a, it's a they just passed this legislation in New York so that moving forward, um, there, there is modernization essentially um, in retrofitting as well. So big deal, but for public housing, it's different. It's not regulated the same way. Um, so just, just wrap it around here, guys. Uh, why are they? Why do you guys think? What's the strategy here? Because there's some political strategy here that's sort of um, outlined. Jordan, go for it. Strategy for Democrats or Republicans? I mean, for for AOC and and Markey, like bringing the Green New Deal forward again. I mean, look, I think that like right now they're going to start marking up. They're, they're still putting together the infrastructure bill. You know, they're still putting that together. And I think that as we saw in the uh, stimulus, obviously there's a lot of good things in there, but a lot of progressive priorities got left out. And I think that you 
create this this large list of things that need to happen. And you know, Biden talked about tackling climate change, talked about public housing. You've got to get these things on the table before you know. So some of them can make it in. I don't think everything from the Green New Deal is going to make it in, but you've got to put you've got to have your chips on the table. I mean, New York. A lot of you mentioned New York uh, here. We have a lot of legislators and members of Congress who are demanding a, a repeal of the salt cap, right? And that's uh, for basically salt tax uh, rebates for people who they want tax rebates for people who pay money on their uh, taxes on their big houses, basically, uh, more or less. And so they're putting that on the table. I think, you know, it makes sense for AOC and uh, Senator Markey to put this on the table and say, look, uh, you know, not everything's going to make it, but we're, we have our chips that we need to get in there as well. Simon? Yeah, I mean, I think the Green New Deal is, you know, always, or like in most cases, uh, like envisioned to be like a collection of separate uh proposals, right? Like separate bills that were all, all going to get passed because, the, you know, the climate crisis is so interconnected to so many other pieces and infrastructure is just one of them. So uh, I'm glad that this is like, this is a start. Oh, I want to also mention that I actually have seen the rest of that clip uh, from Fox News and they go on to like call it like this terrible socialist proposal. It's just like, I, I just, I really want then I just like want, I don't know if you have like a contact at Fox, we can get like a socialist on there to explain what socialism actually is. Oh no, they do it all the time. We go on all the time. It's just, <laughs> they love having those. I, I once did an hour long sit down on a, on a Fox nation show running through what social, I mean, they get it. They love it. They just beat up on folks. Just, you know, it's, it's tough. Debating on Fox news is a, it's a certain type of debate. If you can get through. I'll just say um, that Democrats might as well go big because Fox is going to call them a socialist, whether or not right. they invest $1 million or $10 trillion. That's right. So just do That's it. Right. You're going to get attacked the same way. Exactly. Well, then they would have to actually, that shows their cards. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's the fact. It's like, if you don't want to do it, even though you know the attacks are going to be the same, it's because you don't want to do it. Exactly. Exactly. Jordan Zacharin, congratulations on the new gig. Uh, Simon, always a pleasure. See you next week on uh, Wednesday. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. All right. We've got some uh, shout outs and Twitch, Twitch donations and YouTube donations. We've got Ken M sending his love. Thank you, Ken M. And Ian Kinzel regarding the Chauvin case, given how scared the judge of, is of Maxine Waters. Are we sure the judge isn't... <laughs> Oh man, isn't Michael Tracy in disguise? I did not see that until I like moved my cursor. But um, bump. Uh, Professor Harvey K is in the live chat as always. Thank you for joining us. And Midi Docs in those working those algorithms. We are so appreciative. Algorithms are the bane of my existence. That's like really where I'm at right now with algorithms. So thank you. We appreciate you. And our moderators on YouTube, of course, Bob Seed, Choke in the Orb, and Chuck Diesel. The trolls were out today again. Could it have anything to do with Andrew Yang? I don't know. I don't trust that man. A lot of Andrew Yang hate lately. All because I'm like, I'm a New Yorker and I have opinions. And I've also run for office in New York. So I got lots of opinions. One is I'm not voting for Andrew Yang. And I know he's gotten a couple of endorsements lately, but it's politics. Lots of endorsements come with lots of things. All right, Dorian Sapiens, A Difficult Truth, Nug Wrangler, and Armin's, thank you for keeping Twitch troll-free. They're probably over there too. Um, anywho, we will see you tomorrow, 3 p.m. Eastern. Hopefully my Zoom will stay on. Uh, you never know. Sometimes things happen like that. But we will see you tomorrow, same time, same place. On Thursday, we'll have Rep Rab and Run Chowdhury, who are always here on Thursdays. It'll be a great show. In the meantime, stay in solidarity. Thank you.